because I know what it is to sometimes hide that part of your identity because you want to adapt. There is a lot of empathy in that process. I feel like my experience as an immigrant has a certain level of privilege, which is not the case for many of my students. So I want to use this privilege that I have to amplify those struggles, but also make people understand that we are assets, that we really bring something different to, in many cases, monolingual, multicultural groups, and that what we bring is really eye-opening, and it not only helps us adapt to a new culture, it helps other people to know about the world we live in. Welcome to season five of the Teacher Collaborative Podcast. So this season, we're rotating hosts, so you get to meet different members of the Teacher Collaborative team. My name is Maria Fenwick, and I'm the founder and executive director at the Teacher Collaborative. In season five, we're going to focus on change makers. We'll hear from teachers who have led change and hear in their own voices how they navigated the ups and downs of doing things differently. I am so excited to be here today with Marta Garcia, who is the 2022 Massachusetts Teacher of the Year. So Marta is an elementary multilingual teacher at Witchcraft Heights Elementary in Salem, Massachusetts. Welcome, Marta. Thank you for having me. So Marta, I'm going to start by just asking you a little bit about your role as Teacher of the Year. I'd love to just know from you how that's going. What are you learning and what have you been doing this past year? I have been really out of my comfort zone because my comfort zone is my classroom, my students, my school. That's what I really feel that I know how to do my job. This is such a different experience. I am being invited to all kinds of different events. I have been doing keynote speaking for conferences. I have done presentations at conferences. I've been part of panels with other teachers of the year and with other educators to discuss different aspects of education and the pandemic and education as we see it right after the pandemic or as we are exiting this new normal in education. So I have been participating in a lot of public events, most of them online, one of them in person. And that was really exciting to just feel the room and how people feel about the things that were said. I've been part of a lot of interviews with local news, news in Spain. That's my native country. So I was featured in a couple of TV news shows in my hometown, as well as in the paper. All of these things have been my first ever, uh, and I know I will have a lot of first ever things to follow. And all adding to my full-time job at Witchcraft Heights with my fantastic multilingual students and all that comes with the job. I have student teachers as well. I'm hosting them for their practicums from the university. So I am pretty busy, but I am really happy to be that amplifier for the work that I do and teachers like me. That's awesome. It's amazing that on top of everything, you also have student teachers in your classroom, because I know that that's a whole other level of learning going on in the classroom. I would love to know the story of how you came to be a teacher here in Salem, Massachusetts. Of course. So I am from Spain. 
And I participated in a program called Visiting Teachers from Spain. It's an exchange program that brings students from Spain to the school districts here in the United States. We are hired because we speak Spanish as well as English. And it looks like there's a lot of need of teachers who speak the native language of many of our students here in the United States, mostly for the dual language programs, but also for the ESL programs. The ESL programs, obviously, the target language we teach is English, but it really does help when the multilingual students who are mostly Spanish speakers have that extra support from the teacher. So I came with that program. I came with my family, with my two daughters and my husband to Salem. The idea was to be here for three years, have an experience, have my daughters experience the language, the culture, and then come back to Spain. And that's the purpose of the program. We bring our culture here and then we bring what we learn in the U.S. back to Spain. That wasn't the case for me. I decided to stay. We were embraced by this community. I went through a master's program for teachers of students of other languages. And that has been quite a journey because I have been able to experience both in practice and in theory what it is to be an immigrant person and also a bilingual, bicultural person who has children who have grown here to become part of this culture and this society. That's why I relate so much to my students, my immigrant students and bilingual families, because I am them. That's why I'm here. That's great. I loved what you said. Your whole story is amazing, but especially I think the part about how your experience helps you relate to your students. And I've heard you say before that your accent is your superpower. So I was wondering if you could say a little bit more about that and about how that actually happens. Our accent is the first thing that people see apart from our skin color. It puts us in a vulnerable position because we already know that depending on who the audience is, they may see us as one thing or the other thing. It is our superpower because it does not only reflect a willingness to be part of another culture, another language, another way of seeing the world. It also is a reflection of another whole world that people don't see. It's just the fact that we speak another language fluently. The willingness to be part of this new project of wanting to be fully engaged in this society, ready to provide every asset that we bring as someone who has another experience from another culture, who has seen the world with different eyes. And now we're adding another pair of eyes, another pair of ears. We're building a multilingual, bilingual identity that is just who we are. I see that as my students come in my classroom, many of them newcomers. I see that eventually they will become that bilingual person that has so much to offer to the communities because I know what it is to sometimes hide that part of your identity because you want to adapt. There is a lot of empathy in that process. I feel like my experience as an immigrant has a certain level of privilege, which is not the case for many of my students. So I want to use this privilege that I have to amplify those struggles, but also make people understand that we are assets, that we really bring something different to, in many cases, monolingual, multicultural groups. And that what we bring is really eye-opening and it not only helps us adapt to a new culture, it helps other people to know about the world we live in. The theme of our podcast this season is change makers. And I think the example that you just gave is a great one. It's a way of making change that is 
the long game. You're every day when you're showing up in your classroom and being who you are and showing up in your role as a teacher leader, you are making change because you're showing kids and other teachers that this side of yourself is something to show and be proud of. So I think that's an awesome example of change in a way that might be different than the typical way of thinking about it. I don't like to think of myself as a game changer. I feel like that is a big burden to put on me. I just feel like do my job. I enjoy my job. I see it as a form of activism where I can fight for the things that I believe in and I can make a change in some way in those students because I understand their struggles and I also understand the beauty of what they can bring to the communities. I like to think that they change me. Those students that I see every day, the stories that they share with me and the stories their families share with me really have changed me in radical ways to the point that I consider myself a disruptor of the status quo, knowing those stories. If I am a game changer in any way or a change maker in any way, it's because they have changed me. I have a few stories that I could share with you about how they have truly changed me. These are stories we see in the news. You may have seen them in articles, but when you see them live in front of you and unfolding is what really gets you to stop and think and, and just reflect about how as teachers, sometimes we forget those human stories behind our students. I like to see that human dimension because we all have that dimension. We're not humans if you don't see the humanity on the people we interact with, especially on a daily basis and especially with the most vulnerable of our population, which are our children. They don't make choices. I like to know what their struggles are. Why are they behaving the way they do? And just by listening to those stories is how I can just adapt to their needs to the best of my abilities. So I have this story about Carlos. He was a newcomer from Honduras and he taught me that he used to live with butterflies in his bedroom. And he used to tell me, oh, se paraban en mi cabeza y en mis hombros y revoloteaban en mi habitación. He would say that butterflies would fly around my bedroom free and they would stand on my head, on my shoulders. This image that was so magical to me, but it was very real for Carlos seemed to be taken from one of those Nobel Prize Gabriel Garcia Marquez novels, Real, Magic Realism in Front of You. So no wonder that the butterflies that we had in the room, because we were standing the life cycle of the butterfly, we had caterpillars growing in a plastic sanctuary, had no interest. He was like, I'm over this. I've seen them. I know them. They were part of my life. It was a unit planned to be engaging, fun and motivating, having those butterflies and follow them in their life cycle. He taught me it didn't only not interest him, it provoked him a sense of homesickness and sadness about a life that was not possible for him anymore. Carlos didn't know that his mom had already told me the story of their journey here to the U.S. She shared that they traveled in a taxi through Honduras, Guatemala, Mexico, and all the way to El Paso, Texas. And they traveled to Salem because a relative here in the States had paid for the whole trip. They would travel during the day in the taxi and they would sleep during the night in motels. And it was a long journey, but with a very clear purpose that Carlos could get his education without the fear of being kidnapped or even killed while walking to school. That's the reality where they came from. I thought that was incredible. So Carlos had a hard time adapting to school here. He spoke about his life in Honduras in the present tense, like he was still there. 
but he was great in maths. He was very charming. Every teacher loved him and he made friends. And with time, he adapted. And during the pandemic, he moved to another school district, but we are still in contact. And he's doing well. He speaks a lot of English now. Occasionally, he invites me to his birthday. So we have a close relationship. And last time he FaceTimed me, he was practicing his violin to show me that he was excited about that. This story has always made me question when I plan activities, it's supposed to be fun and incredible. Like having those butterflies in the classroom seemed like an amazing thing and that would motivate every student. For some reason, that didn't work for Carlos. And I wanted to know what the reason was. So that was really important for me to know about him, why he would hide under tables, why everybody was excited about the butterflies. So that's one of my stories that keeps me rethinking the way I plan and the way I bring different things to the classroom. That's a great story, Marta. It is something that almost every teacher does all the time is getting to know kids and understand their stories. Those of us who've been teachers or are still teachers can think of the Carloses from our lives. One thing I was thinking about, I know you have been part of some advocacy efforts and even part of planning for how to update and modernize and improve multilingual programs in Massachusetts. In the past, we would say English learners, and there was bilingual education, and now we're saying multilingual. Can you talk a little bit about that? I'd love to just hear your thoughts on some of those shifts as you know, a, a strong advocate for students. Yeah, this whole idea about switching the terminology as we refer to our multilingual students To me, the connotations of ELL or English language learner have amazing connotations of awesomeness. I always know that behind that ELL is a student that speaks another language and brings so much. But not everybody may see that part of the ELL student. So it subtracts from the whole identity of that student, saying that we see them only because they are learning English, like they were a blank slate with nothing else to offer. So in that sense, for the general public, I think it is better to adopt this new term of multilingual learner or emergent bilingual for that idea of them being multilingual in the sense that as they are already learning a language, they are becoming multilingual. They are fully fluent in a language and they are adding another language. That's the whole idea. And the whole idea also of including those native languages in the classroom. Even in the most restrictive environment, which is English-only instruction, where the target language is always English, there is no reason why we cannot use their native languages and use them in our everyday practices. There's so much that students transfer from one language to another that is almost practical and effective use of that first language, the use of cognates. That's the basic one that many people have already adopted. But the idea of translanguaging in many other contexts, like using your native language to explain a text that you have been able to understand in English, but you may not be able to fully retell in English, but you can fully retell in Spanish. There are many modalities of how we use the idea of translanguaging. You don't have to speak the native language of a student to use those strategies in the classroom. With technology, students and teachers can access languages without even knowing and being fluent in languages. One example is a newcomer student from Brazil. I shared the classroom with another ML teacher. 
and she has this fourth grade student who came from Brazil only a couple of months ago. This student is able to participate in class discussions because she's using an iPad and she's using a translation app where she talks to the iPad and then she gets a translation. So she's able to fully participate in conversations with the classroom. So in terms of using that multilingual terminology for this type of students is embracing what they bring to the classroom and how that multilingualism, that native language is going to help them develop their English language if you use the resources that they bring with them. There's grammar that can be transferred. There is vocabulary that can be transferred. Most of the academic or content-based vocabulary is of Latin origin. Spanish, Portuguese, French have the same origin. So many of the words that you know in Spanish in the world of science of math are cognates. And if you know them in your language, you know them in English. And we also know that bilingual students are bilingual in the classroom, they're bilingual at home, and they navigate both languages as they see fit. So you're bilingual all day long, no matter what the language of instruction. You may be translating in your head, your teacher may not know that, but you're using your full repertoire of languages when you're making meaning in the classroom. I think multilingual learners is a more inclusive term for those who may think that language learners are just that, language learners and they don't bring anything else to the teaching context. That's where the whole concept of multilingual student comes into play, using that whole aspect of their identity as strategies in the classroom. So, Marta, to, to wrap up tonight, I would love to know just a little bit more about how you, you know, really think about nurturing your students' identities as they are acclimating to the United States. I think it's just crucial to incorporate their cultures as they move in. The first months of them acclimating to a new system, a new language, a new culture, new food, new smells, new ways of seeing the world, those first months are crucial. And even though we have most of these students in English-only programs, I think it's our responsibility to nurture what they bring to our classrooms giving them the opportunity to use their native languages in their classwork, facilitate that their native languages as they are acquiring their English language can be used, can be used as assets. And that is not only going to facilitate the learning of the English language, it's going to improve their social emotional abilities and their ability to be happy in a school and the ability to feel like they, what they bring is important to the, the teachers, And while that is important for those students to adapt, and I have to say they're very resilient, they are happy, they appreciate the love that is given to them. It's ideal that we nurture those, and that's my purpose. Every bilingual student has that part of their identity seen and used as an asset in their school community, not only because that benefits them, but because it also benefits the children who have not ever been in that position. Those monolingual, multicultural students who have not experienced the world in a way that these students have already experienced the world as a very young age. So if we are able to have these immigrant students share their experiences, share their languages, share what they eat, share where they come from, These other students sitting in those classrooms who were born in the United States and may have not have any other experiences, that is their way to see the world. 
And that would be a great way to make a world where everybody from the beginning, from childhood, understand that kids come from other places and they are as awesome as we are. And we will build a society that is more inclusive from the beginning. And there will be no questions about color, about race, because kids grow with each other knowing that what you bring and what I bring is equally important. They will learn geography. They will learn other musics. When people have friends who have immigrated from other countries, you see the world differently because you have that connection with that person at a human level. So that's why I think including those identities is not only good for them, for their social, emotional well-being, for their acceptance in the community, but also for the other group of kids who may have never had an experience like that. That's great. Thank you so much. It was so great to talk to you, Marta. Thanks for being here with me. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thanks for joining us for today's conversation. You can learn more about The Teacher Collaborative by visiting our website, theteachercollaborative.org, or by following us on social media, at The Teacher Collab. That's collab with one L. And if you enjoy this show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Special thanks to today's guest and to all the awesome teachers out there who show up with love, creativity, compassion, and energy every day. Thanks to teacher Ben Truboff for our theme music, The Dusty Pencil Sharpener. And thanks to our amazing producer, Mijan Zulu, for translating our vision into a high-quality podcast and creating additional music. Thank you.